I'm Sean Lukasik, and you're listening to the Paisanos Podcast. For those who have been listening along to the Paisanos Podcast so far this year, First of all, thank you. Second of all, this episode's going to be a little bit different. I invited my cousin, Maddie Byers, on to talk with me about why she feels she's chronically online. This will also be the last episode of what you might consider as the first season of the Paisanos podcast. We'll take a little break after this and resume again in the spring when Maddie will be a regular on the show, along with new guests and new topics. And if you have any ideas for guests and topics, please reach out to me at sean at paisanospodcast.com. I've been really fortunate to have so many great conversations um, so far on this podcast, and I'm so grateful for the guests and for all of you for listening and supporting this project so far. If you haven't heard them all already, now is a great chance to go back and listen to the episodes you missed, and of course, to share them with all of your friends and paisanos. And now I'm really excited to share with you another fun conversation with Maddie Byers. All right. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Sean. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Uh, it's been like a couple months in the making. But um, for those who don't know, uh, Maddie and I are cousins. We're related and uh, in two separate cities in New York right now. Um, and uh, Maddie sent me an email a couple of months ago with some podcast topic ideas. Um, and They've been kind of bouncing around in my head, um, one of which I actually had a chance to talk a little bit with Kate Lindsay about on a recent episode. Um, but the more I thought about uh, those ideas, the more I wanted to have Maddie on the podcast um, and, and you know, even in a capacity that could develop into more regular um, appearances. Cause uh, I know we both love talking about this stuff. I know you've been listening to the podcast and texting me things here and there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's my introduction. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be on the podcast and talk in, I guess more feels like an official capacity on being chronically online. Cause normally it's just me and my friends, talking about how we should probably delete social media apps off of our phones. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to chat through all of the things that I've been thinking about. So in that email, that first email, you you shared some awesome topic ideas, and I'm sure we'll hit on a couple of them today. But um, at the end, you, you had this sentence that just kind of said, you know, in general, I'm just kind of chronically <laughs> online. And uh, so I'm sure I'll be sending you more ideas. Um, and I've heard that term before. Um, but when you sent that to me, it, it got me thinking about the ways in which I'm chronic, cr like chronically <laughs> online. Cause I, I think the same thing is true for me sometimes. Um, but I wonder first why you said that, what, what makes you feel like you're chronically online and what are some examples of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been thinking a lot about how I would define chronically online. And I think, I think it, you kind of have to know it when you see it, but I also mm -hmm. think it's, um, and I think it's like different. Like I think your chronically online is probably a lot different than what my chronically online looks like because of social media algorithms and the way we get like funneled into things. Um, yeah. but I think it's just like, 
I notice it the most on Twitter, actually. I think TikTok is kind of like that for Gen Z a little bit, where you see some, you see a take on something and you're like, only someone who has spent too much time on the internet would, would have this opinion on this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was having a hard time like coming up with an example until Henry Kissinger died. And then I was like mm-hmm. graced with so many wonderful examples of being chronically <laughs> online. Um, I think the first one was a tweet at all it said was, where's the Bourdain quote? And then, which if you are chronically online on Twitter or on the parts of Twitter, at least that I'm on, you know that like a lot of younger millennials, maybe all millennials and a lot of Gen Z hate Henry Kissinger and Anthony Bourdain Mm -hmm. did too. And he has a very famous quote about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next tweet that I saw where I was like, you have to spend so much time on the internet to have any idea what this tweet means. Like I thought about like, if I showed my mom, this she'd be like, (laughs) it's like a foreign language, but it was a photo of Cammy from the bear. Like, ferociously whisking something and yelling and the caption on it was everyone logging in for their overtime on twitter.com see after seeing that henry kissinger died and again yeah. like you just need all the context of like who is cammy from the bear what is like what is that show about what is his personality like on the show what does that have to do with henry kissinger dying um and like what do you mean <laughs> overtime on twitter like it it just there are so many layers of it um and i think that's especially big on twitter i think you often see tweets where it's like there are so many layers that you have to understand for this to make any sense to you um and that, i think that's a big yeah, I, big part of my chronic well, no, and i love that example and uh you know just i don't know the more you talk about this stuff the more i my <laughs> brain gets gets churning um so chronically online for you is generally social media, mm-hmm. like in general, because um, I, I think that's true for me, too. Although I've definitely transitioned off of Twitter, not entirely. Um, and I still get things sent to me from from Twitter or X. And uh, and that gets me in, back into that like news feed when I click on it. But I haven't posted anything or really like opened the app directly Um in several months at this point. But, uh, but yeah, I know that's a place where a lot of that discourse is happening. Yeah. Twitter is definitely like past its golden age, I think. Cause there was a time mm-hmm. when like, it felt like even before the pandemic, like everyone could unite around one thing instantly. And sometimes that was like watching an episode of the bachelor or watching the super bowl, or, you know, I think this, I guess was during the pandemic, but it was when that, that ship got stuck in the Suez canal. And yeah. cause it's not always like necessarily important events sometimes they're just like weird things happening in the world that everyone on twitter is like a comedian and has their own take on it um (laughs) it's not it's not the same as it used to be but i think there's still a lot of it there well i was gonna actually have this conversation later in in the episode but i mean we're talking about it now um thinking about like some of the trends and things that are that are changing every time i see like elon musk just famously told his advertisers to f off um and that he doesn't need any of their money and they've been happy to oblige uh which has also been interesting (laughs) and uh every time something like that happens or you know the reason why advertisers were were pushing back in the first place, of course, was the content that was appearing next to their ads was not so wholesome. Um, and so every time that happens, I see more and more people get on threads. Uh, like I get some notifications that are like this person recently was a musician. It was a, a designer who I've only followed on, um, Twitter and Instagram. Um, and so like that, you know, it's like it comes in little spurts and, and then I go into threads and I look around a little bit and I see a bunch of pictures just like Instagram and it's not 
really, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And I leave. Um, have you tried? <laughs> have you been on there yet at no, all? No, I haven't. Yeah. Just I feel like Twitter, as sad as it is to like be on it during Twitter's decline, it's like I just don't think you can recreate it. Like I don't think there's anything you can directly point somebody to, whether mm-hmm. it be like threads or Reddit or whatever. It, you're never going to get the exact same experience. And I think the like downfall of threads is that they're trying to just be like, just get off of X or Twitter or whatever and just come here and it'll be the same. And it's not, I think part of it is because like a lot of people have been on Twitter have been there for over a decade. Yeah. Um, and you have like, cause I don't, I think a lot of the people I see on Twitter, I don't even really follow, but I just keep getting served their thing. Cause you see them, you interact with them. It's like yeah. part of the things that you're clicking on. I have no idea how to go find them on threads right. or like, do I really even want to? Because like at this point I have, I've been on Twitter since I think I was like a freshman in high school. So that's like almost, yeah. oh my God, it's almost 15 years. Wow. That's scary. Um, <laughs> but like, I can't tell you the number of times I'm like, I should just delete this stupid app. Like I don't, yeah. a lot of the stuff that you see, you're like, this is annoying. Or like, this is just like fluff. Like I don't really need mm-hmm. any of this in my life or, mm-hmm. you know, the bills have a bad couple of weeks and everyone's like, this is, this is the end. We've missed our window, whatever. Yeah. And so it's like, I just, why am I on here in the first place? And so I think for me, I'm like, I'm going to go down with Twitter and I'm not going to replace it. Cause that's something I probably never really needed in my life anyway. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. That's definitely true. And I think the thing for me is like, I'm not as nostalgic for Twitter, even though I've been on it since like 2008 or something, I'm not as nostalgic for Twitter as I am for like Facebook, which started mm-hmm. while I was in college. Um, you know, you had to get on Facebook with a, a .edu um, email address at the time. And then uh, and so it like even though I never post to Facebook, I still go on there and I scroll a little bit and see what people are up to. Um, and, you know, generally it's like our family members <laughs> ranting about something. But uh, <laughs> but there's something like a little nostalgic. Like, I don't think I could delete Facebook for that reason. Twitter, I have a different relationship with and I haven't deleted it yet because the point you just made about how it's like nothing can really replace it. It's it's that style of conversation is fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it really is. And uh, and I don't know another place where I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I think we're on like opposite ends of the millennial generation. And it Mm -hmm. makes sense that like you feel more nostalgic towards Facebook. Cause for me, Mm -hmm. like I haven't really actively used Facebook probably since I graduated from college and like, I still have it, but I usually actually, I think I use Facebook almost as like a Reddit sometimes. Cause like the things that I use it for are like Facebook groups about like, I don't know, like buy nothing groups or groups where I'm still connected to like people from high school. But less like I don't really do a lot of scrolling to see what people are posting. Cause I'm like, well, my friends share with me, whatever important thing that they put on here. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think people my age are going to be more nostalgic for like Instagram and Twitter. Whereas like, it's funny because now I see people who are just a little bit younger than I am who are like, I never even had a Facebook and like Instagram. Like, I don't think they have any feelings of nostalgia. Instagram's kind of like changing a lot too. Um, but I think they'll probably feel it for TikTok. That's true. And and Instagram, like when I was writing down my, like how I'm chronically online, um, Instagram is definitely my social media of choice. It's where I end up in the like doom scroll Mm -hmm. situation. I don't necessarily go to Instagram with like, uh, uh, task in mind. Um, and I, I post mostly to stories, but, um, I, I still post, uh, photos to my 
feed and, and it's not that often, but, um, yeah, it's like that's the app that gets mindlessly open when I'm just like sitting in a waiting room or, mm-hmm. you know, eating or whatever. And um, and yeah, so so when I think about being chronically online, but it's that's a lot of lurking, like it's not yeah. engaging back and forth necessarily, um, which, again, is totally something that I miss and don't see anywhere but Twitter. Yeah. And I feel like Instagram back when I was like in college was more interactive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've, I think they've tried to introduce more things like the like button on stories, which I use very liberally. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they've changed, I think a lot and they're like explore page and they're obviously reels. And so it does feel like a lot more like TikTok, a lot more lurky, a lot like it's so easy to get on there and just like scroll endlessly and find things that you're like yeah. maybe interested in. Um, but I feel like it definitely, you see a lot less of the people that you're actually like personally connected to on there. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I find topics or like themes getting recommended to me, whether it's like hiking in the Adirondacks, like all of a sudden I see all these accounts that I don't definitely don't follow, Mm -hmm. but use the same hashtags and things. Um, and, and of course, you know, Buffalo sports and that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I also, it seems like Instagram's algorithm has gotten a lot more, like it adapts a lot faster to you. Um, Mm -hmm. which I've noticed actually with all the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, stuff because yeah. I would click on like one post in my explore page and then the next day I'd have like three different posts there and the next day it's like almost all the posts are about Travis and uh, Taylor and I'm like I don't I don't care that much about them I just wanted to look at that no. one post well and so interesting that I had that in mind also uh, because I've just this week started seeing a resurgence of the conversations about Taylor Swift's um like carbon uh, footprint and mm-hmm. how massive it is and how many um, I forget what the measurement is like car- carbon tons or something she's put into the atmosphere just because of her relationship with <laughs> Travis Kelsey. So, you know, she's flying on a private jet to go to all of his games and then back to her um, tour and then back to the games and everything. And, uh, and so it's so funny how like her, career and her, um, like viral impact on the world just ebbs and flows like that. And I guess it's like anything, but Mm -hmm. because she's so massive in popularity, it's like all this incredible, like she's the most amazing person. And I'm just starting to see it shift in the other direction of like, I can't believe she's doing this to the environment. And then I'm sure it'll be back in the other. And it's not the same people. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, you know, what gets louder at, at what time. So I, I thought this week that's been pretty interesting. <laughs> well, it's funny too, because this week has also been her birthday. Um, oh, right. Yeah. And so yeah. I feel like this kind of, kind of like gets into a little bit of like fandom culture where I think mm-hmm. for a while you see so many positive posts about her and about her relationship with Travis and the tour and how it's like economically impacted a lot of places. And I think at least from what I see on Twitter, it's a lot of like Taylor Swift, like hardcore stands posting like all these really wonderful things that she does and just like giving her all her flowers and no, no one has anything to say poorly about her. And then I think sometimes when like that gets a little bit too loud, you have people who are just like sick of the discourse or who are like maybe big fans of people who are like at odds in some way with Taylor Swift who are like, okay, but we can't forget that, you know, here she is using her private jet to travel to Kansas city every week or, you know, whatever it is. 
Yeah. I, and I know like it's human nature or not. Eh, it's human nature. It's Internet human nature <laughs> to like want to drag people down a little bit and want to like um, harsh their. No, what's the not harsh or mellow yuck their yum or something. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to, to like so, you know, I could see why people would come out of the woodwork just to point out some negative aspects of her and her career and that kind of thing. But um yeah, the fandom culture piece is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, another example of being chronically online for me is the New York Times Games app. Do you <gasps> use that at all? Um, yeah, I don't use the app. Um, I just oh, use okay. like the like I just search it in Chrome. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I don't actually I, think I realized there was a game app. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's a separate subscription altogether. So you could just get the games subscription. And I've gotten to the point where, like, I probably spend about a full hour each day um, in that <laughs> app because I want to do the Wordle, I want to mm-hmm. do the uh, connections, which is a relatively new app, the crossword itself, the mini crossword. <laughs> They've got like six or seven little games in there now that you know, it takes, uh, anywhere from 30 to 60 seconds for some games, you know, all mm-hmm. the way up to could be 30 minutes. Um, and, uh, I I'm seeing like my social media algorithms are, are shifting as well. And I don't know what the <laughs> connection is there, but I'm seeing like, you know, the difficulty rate, uh, ranking of this morning's connections puzzle. And it, and it's just wild that, um, I'm not interacting with like another human (laughs) in that (laughs) app. Uh, And when I think about internet culture, um, that scares me a little bit, but it is, it's like, it's addicting to me and I'm seeing it start to like permeate my news feeds also. That's so interesting. You're not using the the games app. It's funny though. Cause I do, I have played all of the games at one point or another. And I feel like I go through like phases Um, at the job that I had pre pandemic, we would all play the mini crossword every morning and to see Mm -hmm. like who had the fastest time. Um, I haven't done that one in a while. I was big on Wordle for a long time. I'm like transitioning to connections and I do, Mm -hmm. I play the spelling bee a lot. Um, yes, I think yep. that one's fun. I'm not super good at crosswords, so I usually avoid like the bigger one, but spelling bee seems to like scratch a similar itch for me. Um, yeah. but maybe I should download the app. That's fun. I'd love good to actually to know like that. the connections, like how hard it is. Cause there are some days I look at it and I'm like, this is no way. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I open it and I feel like a genius. And mm-hmm. then other times I, I, it's like, I've never seen words before yeah. the, the rating, the difficulty rating I have not seen in the app. I've seen mm-hmm. it in like the New York times, um, uh, Twitter account, or they'll, they'll post on threads, like the difficulty out of, out of five or whatever. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'll go, Oh, well that, that makes sense that it only <laughs> took me a minute to do the connections this morning. Um, and I'm holding this Wordle inspired mug. <laughs> That's <laughs> which, good. <laughs> uh, is made, I learned, by um, Kate Lindsay, who is a previous oh. guest on this podcast. Um, in just like learning about some of the work that she does and, and checking out her website, um, I saw that she she hand makes these. It's it's incredible. That's and, so cool. Uh, so now um, this is like a meta like podcast. <laughs> slash wordle connected uh mug that i'm drinking coffee out of <laughs> uh but yeah that's the internet world we live in yeah um so speaking of i wanted to do some uh like po- past guest 
updates. Um, the idea, uh, and, and I'm sure I'll share this with, you know, my friends directly as well. And, and, um, like some of the people who subscribe and listen, um, the idea is that after this episode, um, we're going to take a couple months off, um, reach out to some new guests and get some episodes in the pipeline. Um, I would love to have you on monthly, um, at that point to kind of just kind of share how we've been chronically online <laughs> and what trends we're seeing. And, um, and, uh, you know, talk about the things that are happening on the Internet, because I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, so uh, as this is kind of like the last one then of, of 2023, um, I wanted to just share a few updates uh, from some of the guests that we've had on in this first, I guess you could call it like first season or whatever. Um, this has been such a fun project. And my my very first guest was Dr. Jen Goldbeck, and um, she talked about working on a book about uh, the relationships that we have with our dogs. And uh, it's called The Purest Bond. And I know that that's out now. Um, so that just came out a few weeks ago. Uh, my dad already has a copy of it. <laughs> That's <laughs> he, great. He shared that with me. Um, I just, uh, just shared the, the Kate Lindsay mug. So she only sells these a few times a year. <laughs> um, they're sold out now, uh, in her shop, but follow her to find out when she, when she's making more of those. Um, Franz Nicolay is the keyboard player from the Hold Steady. And uh, every year I go down to the city, down to Brooklyn and uh, see them. Um, and so I just did that a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of December for their Massive Nights weekend um, at the Brooklyn Bowl. And uh, sorry, I didn't reach out. I know you're in the city, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like all I could do. I think to... My back was thrown out anyway. So, <laughs> well, perfect. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, Hold Steady is just wrapping up their 20th year as a band, which is oh. pretty cool. Um, and then Tara McGowan, um, we've actually talked a little bit um, about some of the local races that were happening here in Corning. She gave me some great advice um, on a, uh, a countywide campaign. And I know that she's been in touch with a close friend kind of scheming and strategizing some ways that maybe Courier could um, reach into New York State or upstate New York or or just kind of what does upstate New York mean? I, I have no idea like how far along they are in those conversations, but um, it's kind of fun to have had the opportunity to talk with Tara um, and then know that like she and one of my closest friends are um, thinking about how they can make positive change in New York State. So that's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to ask you, like, if there were any episodes that resonated with you or who uh, uh, a, a more fun way to ask that would be <laughs> like, who do you think would be the most fun kind of paisano to have in our life, like to have at our family uh, Christmas Eve party? Oh, that is a very fun question. Other than Maddie Massiello. I was going to say, I think I have to mention Maddie Massiello because she <laughs> is course. one of my real life paisanos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Kate honestly would be a lot of fun. I had already subscribed to her newsletter before she was on your podcast. So I think she seems very interesting. I think we'd have a lot of really interesting things to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think everyone you've had on has been really fascinating in different ways. Yeah. I think Kate would be a lot of fun to mm -hmm. like have at a party and break down like how, how our family uses the internet also. That would be an interesting um, conversation to have her like MC. Cause right. I would, I mean, I, our family is a lot of people a little bit older than I am up to like our parents who are in their sixties. And yeah, yeah, I've never even really thought about asking them. Cause I think in my head, I'm like, it's just Facebook, I think, but yeah, it'd be interesting to actually hear what they have to say. Uh, 
Yeah. And to have her, although if she was moderating the conversation or emceeing that, that whole like foreign language effect that you were talking about earlier would probably <laughs> happen. Really, they would have no idea. No idea. Like, that reminds what, me actually of a conversation I had with my mom a few months ago. Um, but started, I was in LA visiting a friend and there are like two tweets that my friends and I like will consistently like cry laughing over. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think there are things like you have to have been on Twitter for a while, I think, to find them funny. Um, But I was like filling my mom and I was like, we were sitting on the ground, like in Disneyland, waiting for some like water show to happen. And we are crying, laughing over this. My mom's like, oh, well, what was it? And I read her the tweets and she, it was so, she's very sweet. She was like, oh, um, can you send me those? I think maybe they'd be funnier if I could read them. And I was like, you're not going to think they're funny. No, (laughs) because they're kind of not like you have to just get it. Um, So yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the internet language, she would be like, what are you talking about? It is fun when, when there are those moments that like a good majority of the internet understands Mm -hmm. as opposed, like, obviously there are like niche jokes and memes and things that happen all the time, but um, it's pretty fun. Like I'm the example you shared about like Carmi from the bear. I, I don't even feel like, people necessarily need to have watched the bear, but if they were paying attention online, they would know about his personality and, and what just generally what the show is about. Um, so it's not as niche as like people who have seen the show. Mm -hmm. Um, but that said, like, be the the audience of the internet does not necessarily include everyone who you know, uses Facebook or, um, Instagram or just sort of, you know, the, the, more surface level, like social media and, and uses that we see. Yeah. Which is, I like have come up with a number of things when I was just like thinking about what is chronically online or like, how do I see it come up in my life? I have a note right mm-hmm. now on my phone that would make no sense to anyone who is like not used <laughs> social media apps. Um, but one of the ones that I do think is pretty universal is the nun pizza left beef meme that's been around for like probably a decade now. And I think there are some memes that are old enough or like they have hit a lot of the social media platforms. Like I'm sure that one originally was like on Facebook. I've definitely seen it all over Twitter and Instagram. I doubt it's made it to TikTok, but I think there are sure. some of the older memes that have been around long enough where people are like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Or I think about like way back when YouTube was starting to get big, probably when I was like in middle school and it was the like Charlie bit my finger or oh, yeah. some things like that. But I do think even my mom would be like, oh, yeah. It's interesting to see those characters come back around too. Mm-hmm. like sometimes the 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 person or often young child who was like the butt of a joke of a popular meme, um, you know, you find out now that they're like 30 years old mm-hmm. and they have a family of their own and their own kids are doing <laughs> the meme. And it's like weird when that stuff comes around. I mean, Charlie himself must be in like his mid 20s, right? Like, oh, easily. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, it is funny too. Cause I think some of like the really, really popular memes, you almost forget that they're a person. Like that was a real person. Right. Somebody really took that picture and uploaded it. And then it just like right. went viral. And then you see them as an adult and you're like, that's, you lived a whole life. It, meanwhile, people are yeah. still sharing the meme of you as like a three-year-old making a funny face. And it's like, I can hear that voice. Uh, I I would imitate, I mean, at that time, you know, I would try to just emulate the voice. We thought Mm -hmm. it was so funny. Um, yeah. Wild. Uh, are you, do you spend a lot of time on YouTube? No, I did a lot in high school. I do Mm -hmm. definitely less now. And I think when I do now, it's like, I'll put on a video kind of in the background while I do 
like mindless types of work. Yeah. Um, I'm big on like, I don't food YouTube. I don't really know if it's like the, that's the right term for it even, but yeah. a lot of people who I don't either like own restaurants or have their own like cooking shows, like binging with Babish is a big one. Yeah, um, yeah. That's probably the biggest one that I like kind of keep up with. Oh, New York times, um, mm-hmm. like cooking channel. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, I ask because like that tends to be the place if I run home for lunch or, um, if I, you know, at the end of end of the day, um, and I'm not on my phone, I don't, I still don't have cable. Um, so I open mm-hmm. up like my Apple TV and I go into the YouTube app. If it's not Netflix, um, you know, I'll, I'll check in on some sports updates. I definitely get the food YouTube stuff like binging with Babish is all over my YouTube feed. <laughs> um, Maddie Matheson, Epicurious, mm-hmm. um, food network, like, uh, yeah, New York times, all that stuff. Um, and then I get like, uh, this brand of content that Kate Lindsay actually referenced in our conversation, um, where it's like, uh, a guy on a hike just like quietly or cooking. It's often outdoor related stuff. It might be like cooking a meal on a fire or building mm. a lean to, or, or some, you know, most of the time just like out for a hike. Um, and that stuff like helps me kind of decompress. And, um, and it's also not on a tiny little screen on my phone. So I can kind of like lean back on the, on the couch or the chair and, um, I don't know. I've always thought like, it's interesting. I don't think about my YouTube use as much, but like, it's kind of like the way I watch the way I channel surf almost. Yeah. That's interesting. I think YouTube, it's, it's been interesting to watch like the evolution because when Mm -hmm. it was first big, I was probably like in middle school and then high school. And it was a lot of like, there were YouTubers and everyone had like their group of YouTubers that they followed. And then it seems like YouTube was, has become a little bit more saturated. And so I think, And I think also as a lot of us have gotten older, it's like less about which YouTubers you follow and you constantly keep up with and more about kind of like the vibe that you're looking for, like the kinds of things. Because I don't get a lot of that like hiking, silent cooking stuff, but I do get a lot of like, I think the food videos are a good like decompression. I feel like I'm learning, but it's usually very gentle. Like it's not very intense. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's, I guess like the same thing with the outdoors stuff for me, it's just kind of like decompressing a little bit. So, um, uh, the, one of the topics that you mentioned in, in your email, um, and something that I definitely wanted to touch on in this conversation is the idea of having third places online. So third places, you know, at one point being cafes or theaters or, um, you know, wherever you might go, that's not work home or school and home. Um, and, uh, I wonder what, like, as I'm talking, like, I'm wondering if YouTube is really a third place for me or if it's just kind of like a a distraction or a decompression. Um, But I could think of, uh, like, Reddit sometimes is really a third place for me. And Mm -hmm. um, I wonder where where you spend, where you feel like you're really, like, um, investing your time online as as sort of a third place. That's a really good question. Um... I'm not sure. I think it's like, it's in kind of a flux a little bit. I do think Twitter, although Twitter, I think I'm that's actually across social media right now. I feel like I'm just watching. I'm not really participating. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter, I think was bigger for me before. I think now 
because if so many people have left Twitter, you're almost only left with the people on Twitter where you're like, oh, you need to like get outside. Um, I think Reddit has been a big one. My friends recently were laughing because I feel like right now my like response to everything is like, oh, let me go like consult Reddit. Um, And I was, I know Reddit's been around forever, but I really haven't started using it until like the past probably six months. Yeah, it is. It's very helpful to go and find like answers to questions. And I'm part of actually one of my coworkers, she got off of Twitter a while ago and she was like, you know, I did also miss like the community of Twitter. And she has found a couple like stand in Reddit threads that she's like, it's not the same, but it feels similar. Um, so I think there, I think it's, I feel like I have the same group chat across like three different (laughs) social media platforms and you send them the different content depending on like which one you're on. Um, and so I guess for me, sometimes the third space is just like interacting with the same people I see all the time, just virtually. Um, it's like continuing, Mm -hmm. like we could have three conversations going once in Twitter, once in Instagram and like once on text. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about that. I, I hadn't, I see what you mean by that now, like where you would normally have invited your friends out for coffee mm-hmm. and had the same conversations. Now you're, you're doing that with the same people, but across different platforms. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, what are some of the things that you think are going to be different or some of the things that have changed this year that are going to kind of like carry us into 2024? Um, so I was looking back at the email and I think the first thing mm-hmm. I was talking about was like phone culture. Yeah. I wrote um, that down. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I sent this email in the middle of September and since then Apple's announced that they're switching from SMS to RCS, yeah. which I personally think supports my argument. Um, I think, so I used to have an iPhone and then when I graduated college, I switched to a pixel phone, mostly because my phone had gotten stolen at a bar and I was like, now feels like a good time to try it. Yeah. Uh, and I love my pixel. Like I will defend my pixel. My friends can tell you I make all my group chats green. <laughs> I'm sorry, I guess I'm not that sorry. I love it. Um, yeah. but I think for a long time, like when I first switched, I, a lot of my friends like genuinely were like, this is annoying. Like you yeah. switch back. Um, and there was like a lot of phone, phone loyalty, especially to Apple products. Um, I think over the past like year or so, we're seeing more people, I think be more comfortable switching to like a Samsung phone or a pixel phone or just be less attached to the idea of their iPhone. I think part of it is like, I've heard a lot of conversations around, I think Apple's kind of like, what really is the difference between their last three versions of their phone? Like it's more expensive. Nothing's really changed. Um, I think also with a switch to RCS, it's, it'll be easier for people. I don't know what's going to happen with the green text bubble, but I think if that changes, which I feel like it might, um, because I think there's like a big social part, I think, of having an iPhone and being part of group chats that you can name and everyone has a group or the blue check boxes and or text boxes. Yeah. Uh, you can react to things, which I can react to things, too. It just like shows up differently. But it's more yeah. integrated if everyone's on an iPhone. I think about changes where everyone can do everything. People mm-hmm. are going to be like, well, then why do I have an iPhone? Um, right. Why don't I switch? Especially like as all of the people who I think it was most important, like I think people my age, it was really important too because we were all in high school and iPhones were getting big. So it was like, I think the social aspect was amplified. Yeah. Right? But now we're all getting to the age where it's like, you buy your own phones now. So if one's a couple hundred dollars cheaper and there's not really a difference. Right. Um, so I think we're going to see that changing. I also think, slightly shamefully, I am part of like the K-pop fandom. Um, awesome, yeah. <laughs> which is a whole other conversation. But I've seen a lot recently 
Samsung is a Korean company. They have mm-hmm. a lot of Korean groups advertising Samsung. And so I think for younger generations where K-pop is like really huge right now, they're probably going to be less attached to the iPhone. And if your favorite idols are advertising like their Samsung phones, I think it's way more appealing yeah. to be like, oh, well, let me just try this one out. Um, yeah. I also think Samsung innovates a little bit. It's a little bit bolder in their innovation recently. They have like the flip phones. I think they're going to keep iterating on that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think if you see Samsung doing new and interesting things, an iPhone is still just like your slab. It's like not really changing all that much. Yeah. I think it'll change a little bit. Well, I wrote down the same sort of changing trend because it was interesting that you brought that up and and it has since changed. So I don't really have anything to even add to that. <laughs> like, I think those are all um, really interesting points to think about. Um, but I do have to share this anecdote where we had a group chat um, several years ago and uh, one member was an Android user and uh, he didn't understand. He thought that we were all typing out like as if it was inter- internet lingo. He thought we were saying like, Sean laughed at that or Sean, you know, liked that. Um, and so he would speak about himself in the third person and say like the same things, but he would change it slightly. He would say, um, you know, like Sean laughed at everything above (laughs) or like Sean really liked the, you know, he would add little uh, adjectives and things. And it was really fun and funny (laughs) to see. And, but he wasn't like in on the joke, but it was so like, uh, wholesome and, uh, <laughs> that he was like taking the time to, to type that out. Uh, so yeah, it, it is unfortunate that we won't, uh, get to see his, his use of, <laughs> you know, being an Android user in the group chat anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And, and I, I also jotted down, um, like the, the privacy thing just with a question mark, because that's always, a conversation. Um, I just talked about it the, the other day, um, about how like WhatsApp is outrageously popular in other countries and, um, continents around the world, but not in the U S mostly in other countries because they really stress privacy and, and all of those messages and things are encrypted in WhatsApp. Um, and so I would love to see that encryption come either into general text messaging or either more use on WhatsApp or more of an emphasis on um, encrypted uh, web surfing, conversations, photo sharing, whatever it may be, because um, I think we've got to keep taking steps toward privacy in this country. Um, And it has nothing to do with like the TikTok political conversations. It's just... um, you know, it's a little bit scary what some of these companies have access to and, um, and what they're able and willing to share. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I hope to say, I don't necessarily have reason to believe that we'll make great strides in privacy on the (laughs) internet, um, in 2024, but just something that I kind of hope to see as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of those topics that like, I know a little bit about, but not very much, but I think generally you could say most Americans don't know a ton about like privacy on the internet or, yeah. I think also because so much of it is just like it happens and you hear about it retrospectively and you're like, well, everyone has all my data anyways. And it's like, maybe we shouldn't be so blase about that. Yeah. Um, I know there was an article that came out last week that got very little attention, but it's how like our government, but also foreign governments have information. I should check this, but (laughs) it's like it's related to push notifications. 
Um, oh yes, right, right. Yeah, um, like push notifications don't necessarily just come, uh, you know, from the app. It's I mean they come from the app, but they get approved and routed through a federal like agency or something. Right, yeah. which like that's. I don't know. Like that's one of those things where I'm like, I don't, am I going to turn off all my push notifications? Maybe, but also like, I don't know. But yeah, I think should probably be more like education around privacy. Yeah. Um, definitely push forward. I do think RCS messages are encrypted. Um, I think that's the reason Apple switching to it is because Europe kind of got on them about a lot of privacy stuff. And then I think also, I think just like poor business practices, because I know they're changing their, um, where you plug your phone in. I can't remember the word for it. Oh, like that's the right. Yeah. The, right. Right. Um, yeah. again, but yeah, hopefully yeah. <laughs> once and for all. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, all remains to be seen. Um, I, I really appreciate having this conversation. I'm excited to do it a lot more in 2024. That's a trend that we know will change. Um, <laughs> and, uh, for, for everyone listening, um, you know, thank you for, supporting this little project of, of mine, um, and now of Maddie's as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, doing the Paisanos podcast has been a lot of fun in 2023. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of the conversations, um, that I've had so far this year, um, please go back and do that. You'll have a, a couple of months while we're looking for, um, some new guests and things. Of course, if you have guest ideas, um, email me and topic ideas. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I hope everyone just has a great holiday and new year. Um, and Maddie, I'm sure I'll see you in Buffalo at some point. (laughs) I'll see you there. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. The Paisanos Podcast is produced by Creagent Marketing. It's written and hosted by me, Sean Lukasik. You can find our show notes at paisanospodcast.com or visit our YouTube page to watch the video version. If you have guest or topic ideas, email me at sean at paisanospodcast.com. Thanks for listening.